Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to the Pump Fake, everybody. Wherever and however you are watching or listening, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to make us part of your day. I'm Jared Bailey. Joining me today is my friend from the Charlotte Observer, Mike K. Hi, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's it's a lovely, lovely time of year, is it not? We're just kind of grinding away, waiting until training camp starts. Uh, OTAs for teams around the league have been going on. Uh, no different for the Carolina Panthers. A new regime in Carolina. Um, and just a, a bunch of new faces uh, in that in your neck of the woods down there. What's it been like for you seeing just everybody, you know, all these all these new faces all over the place for the Panthers? Well, I'm kind of used to it because, you know, before I got here, I was covering the Eagles. Before that, I was covering the Jaguars. And um, I got here like week four. So, like, I was here for two weeks. Matt Rule gets fired. Steve Wilkes gets promoted. They trade Robbie Anderson, now chosen Anderson, to the Cardinals. Then a couple of days later, they trade Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers. So it's been kind of like moving and shaking since I got here. I really, you know, nobody would, it's, it's kind of like something I said or wrote, you know what I mean? Like every time I get to know somebody, they leave. And uh, so it's been interesting. I mean, what's, what's really interesting is that I have connections to a lot of the people that they hired because of my past experience with the Jaguars and, and the Eagles. Deuce Staley, who they hired as the running backs coach and assistant head coach. I covered for three years in Philadelphia. Todd Wash, their new D-line coach, I covered for three years in Jacksonville. Um, Josh McCown, their quarterbacks coach, I covered as a player, uh, which makes me feel like I'm old. But Josh also played a hundred years in the league, so it's he like certainly it, did. It was gonna, it was gonna connect that way. Um, I think Josh McCown's first year in the league, I was in like the year before I went to kindergarten. So yeah, he he was there for a minute. Yeah, it was a, it's been a long time. Um, but, you know, and, you know, Andy Dalton's like my age and uh, he actually was drafted the same year I graduated college. And mm. so there's that. I mean, I covered Miles Sanders in Philadelphia uh, yeah. for all but like 15 games of his career because I left in week two of last season. Um, and so... I'm pretty familiar with a lot of these guys. I also, you know, have been covering the league for a really long time. So I've crossed paths with a lot of people, even if I didn't cover them on a beat. Um, but it's been kind of refreshing. I mean, this is a very uh, intelligent coaching staff. It's a really appealing coaching staff. They've got a nice mix of experienced coaches, young coaches, um, a lot of smarts all around. And then the guys that they brought in are really good character guys who, who want to win and understand that this is a rebuild on the fly. And I think that's kind of important because I think sometimes teams uh, kind of overvalue themselves. But I think when you trade up to the number one pick when you were at nine before, yeah. you kind of have this feeling of, okay, this year you're laying the foundation. Next year is when you should really contend. And well, I don't think they would ever say that publicly. I do get the sense that there is some self-awareness to this team that knows, like, you know, yeah, they'll contend for the division this year. They contended for the division last year. But 
before they can become Super Bowl contenders, they have to kind of walk before they can run. You brought up Andy Dalton. Um, Frank Reich and Panthers coaching staff has been pretty public saying, yeah, Andy's the starter as of right now, you know, going into camp and whatnot. Do you think that that lasts? Do you think that we see Andy Dalton week one, or does Bryce Young win this, uh, win this coaching staff over early and get the start to, to begin the season? So this is really interesting because the NFL only requires teams to let us into OTAs once a week. So we're not seeing every single OTA practice. What I will say is I've seen three practices of Bryce Young. He is clearly very talented. Uh, he clearly gets it. Um, balls aren't really hitting the ground that often. He's had the occasional misfire, but that's going to happen. Um, but the way that they are messaging makes me think that eventually this kid's going to just get the, the baton. I don't know if it'll be – before training camp, but it feels like it will be, if that makes sense. Like, it wouldn't shock me if he got the the nod ahead of mandatory minicamp. Because I think you want your – I think you want your team to know who the guy is going into training camp if you have conviction on that guy, right? Like, yep. if Bryce was having a couple of rough practices and you wanted to backstop yourself a little bit, then whatever. But he has been so ahead of the curve – at least from what the coaches say and from what we've seen in the limited action, that I think he will get the ball to run with, if not at the start of training camp, before or slightly after the start of training camp. I think Andy Dalton's done a really good job of being the program setter. And that's what he was hired to do. You know, people people are weird about the term bridge quarterback. To me, bridge quarterback just means that he's the guy to lead the way until he's not. And you can be a bridge quarterback for an offseason. And I think that's what Andy Dalton wants. And is. Looking at the receiving core, that it is a fascinating group to me because I think that there are still some questions around the group. Like, how much does Adam Thielen still have left in the tank as like a really good contributor? What does LaVisca Chenault bring outside of being you know, a fun slot gimmick type guy? Terrence Marshall, is he going to take this next step forward? Um, what do you make of this receiving core? I think it's one of those ones where you're going to have to just wait to see what you have. I mean, like this. So you brought it up. So Adam Thielen, obviously his numbers dipped the last two years. Uh, I don't think he is as effective moving around as he was obviously two or three years ago. They, they signed him because they wanted him to set the tone. I think he's an easy target across the middle. He understands spacing. He knows how to beat zone coverage. He can win one-on-one in the slot or at the Z position. You want a guy who can do that at least two positions. That said, you know, he's also not going to interrupt the or mitigate the growth of Terrace Marshall or Jonathan Mingo, who both seem to be fit to play X receiver, but we aren't sure if they actually can. And so I, 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 I'm kind of curious to see how that battle plays out because I think whoever loses that battle will be in a much different role. Uh, moving forward because DJ Chark's the guy who's kind of the forgotten man, but they paid him $5 million for one year. He purposefully took a one-year deal because he wanted to prove a deal so he could make more money. The thing is, I don't know if if he's still dealing with his injury come training camp, if you're going to mitigate the growth of Mingo and Marshall to put Chark in a position to get a lot of snaps. He's a guy who historically has won as a Z 
receiver. He he's not going to get off press. He's not that guy. He's a very skinny guy. He's had a history of of leg injuries. As it is right now, he's only taking part in individual drills from what we've seen as he comes off ankle surgery. So with that said, he's kind of like the unknown variable, even though he's the second most proven guy in the room. Um, they've brought up LaVisca a lot, which is good for him in, in my experience. Like typically when you're a guy that's competing for that fifth spot, it's it's tough. You've got four guys guaranteed to make the roster. They're probably going to keep six. Um you know, he's a guy that could be used a lot like Paris Campbell the last couple of years in Indianapolis, where you use him in the backfield. He runs a lot of Texas routes. Um, the previous staff, uh, after they acquired him right before week one, basically didn't have him run a route tree. Like, the guy didn't have a route tree. He ran, like, zigzags behind the line of scrimmage as, like, a, you know. Like a decoy almost. Yeah, I mean, it was very weird. And then he got... He got, I shouldn't say he got lucky, but he was able to break free for two massive runs for touchdowns, essentially. Mm. Um, one was counted as a pass, another was counted as a run. But um, he's a guy who needs to figure it out. Like, this is going to be what gives him a trajectory of a career moving forward. And so I think if you can use him in that way, that works. You also got to keep in mind at running back, you know, Miles Sanders has been an inconsistent pass catcher, but they feel really confident in him. What if they take the the Corderell Patterson route with all mm. I mean, that's been something that's been flirted about. You know, he's a guy who can run crossers, but I think, you know, they don't have a power back. Um, their running back room is outside of Miles is okay. I mean, I, like, that's something that I would keep an eye on. Offensive line was going into year two of Vicky Iquanu. They got Taylor Moten on the right side. How do, how do you think they feel about the interior? How do you feel about the interior of the line? feels like the offensive line and that tight end spot have been question marks in Carolina for the past couple of years. They bring in Hayden Hurst. They still have Tommy Treble, Ian Thomas there. Um, but the interior of the offensive line seems to be something that, you know, in terms of the offense as a whole is still maybe a little bit of a question, but promise there at least. So they re-signed Bradley Bozeman, who is like a pure old-school power center. He fits mm-hmm. in line with Ryan Kelly, who uh, Reich had in Indianapolis. They love him. Um, he's a bit limited in space. So you're not going to run a lot of zone plays. And so I think they're going to run a lot more power this year than they did last year. Last year was very West Coast-based. They played a lot of zone, and they switched it up. Um which kind of hurts left guard Brady Christensen, who was a first-year left guard last year. Uh, he's more of a finesse blocker. He's probably best fit to play swing tackle, and they don't have, like, a great swing tackle right now. They brought back Cameron mm-hmm. on a flyer. But with that said, they drafted uh, Chan- Chandler Zavala in the fourth round. And let me tell you something. If this dude didn't have a, have a history of back injuries and wasn't 24 – he'd be probably a second-round pick. Uh, I think there's a lot of upside there. He played next to Aki Iguanu at NC State. They brought that up several times, which I think if you're paying attention or you've been in this business long enough, you know what they're getting at. So I think there will be a competition between Zavala and Christensen at left guard this year uh, in training camp, which I'm very intrigued by. Uh, And I think Zavala wins it, ultimately. Um, And then at right guard – Austin Corbett tore his ACL in the season finale last year. Uh, They're probably going to play Cade Mays there. He was a six-round pick last year who impressed a ton of people, even played some fullback for them. Um, And so 
I really like – I'm very high on Cade Mays. I actually think that he has a future in this league as a starter. Um, very versatile player to play all five spots, but I think they need to kind of get him acclimated over the summer. And then when Corbett comes back, then you have Mays, who's kind of your sixth man. But I, I – you know, I don't know if I'd call it a question mark as, as much as I would say they, there's a quiet confidence there because they have James mm. Captain, who I think is one of the top three offensive line coaches in the league. And I, I, I think they feel good about where they're at with that position. Well, they've got to feel good about their defense. And for a team that is bringing in a rookie quarterback, having a good defense is definitely a plus. And they definitely have that on paper. And it's also a very good young defense with all the talent that they have J.C. Horn, uh, C.J. Henderson, they still got Dante Jackson. They bring over Von Bell at safety from Cincinnati, and the front seven still very good with Brian Burns, Derek Brown. Um, is there really any like glaring hole on that side of the ball to you? Because right now, the, in terms of just the youth, the talent put together, I mean, there has been a very good foundation laid for the Panthers on the defensive side of the ball. But what are, what are the biggest glaring needs uh, for them on defense? So the pushback I would give you is they're switching to a 3-4 front, mm. which there aren't a lot of, like, logical fits there. Well, I think that, you know, Derek Brown's going to play very, very well at that 4-I, 5-technique yeah. spot. Um, they are kind of undersized otherwise. Uh, Shy Tuttle's going to play nose tackle and 5-technique. Um, they brought in Deshaun Williams, who played for Ejiro Evero in, in Denver. He'll probably yeah. be the other end interior end and then you know when we talk about like a glaring need their edge number two opposite brian burns who's coming off ankle surgery is a glaring need um marquise haynes who's probably going to get that job as of now is a situational pass rusher he really doesn't play the run very well he's a bit undersized i like him a lot i think he can step up and he fits a three four it's just going to be interesting to see what he does with like heavy minutes. They're they're trying to convert Utah Grossmatos to a three four outside linebacker. It, for those who don't know, he's six foot five, two hundred and sixty five pounds. He's a little yeah. bit too bulky to play in space. Big guy from Penn State. He he, frankly, he wasn't very good as a four three n, which is his traditional spot. Um, you know, he was typically in the wrong gap. <laughs> I mean, it was it was not pretty. Uh, so they're kind of working with him. They've been happy with what they've seen as of late. Um, I'd say inside linebacker Shaq Thompson is a guy who's really leaned on for his leadership, but he took a pretty emphatic pay cut to stick around. Um, they're going to put Frankie Louvu in there. Who's an amazing blitzer. I don't know how much I want to see him in space, but it'll be interesting to see how they take advantage of that. They don't really have a lot of depth. Uh, on defense. This is one of those situations where as great as JC Horn is, as, as great as Derek Brown is, as great as, you know, some of these pieces are like, if they have two injuries, they are really hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, cornerback JC Horn and, and Dante Jackson, who's coming off Achilles surgeries are likely to be their two starters. They don't really have a true nickel corner, but they're going to use Jeremy chin kind of in that role. Um, to be determined on that one. Uh, mm. I've been impressed as of late, but he really struggled in space as a safety last year. Where I do think they're very deep, as you mentioned, is safety. Von Bell and yeah. Xavier Woods are two of the smartest safeties in the league. It's a uh, new day, indeed. Yeah. Uh, 
they have depth behind them at, with Eric Rowe, who can play multiple spots. They they drafted Jamie Robinson, who I am very high on. He can play nickel or safety. Um, Sam Franklin, their special teams ace, can get out there too. So I, I think they're very deep at safety. Otherwise, I do think they're kind of like an injury away from nightmare status at certain positions. And that's going to be really difficult as you convert to this new defense. Do you think that they go out and try to make a move to get a little bit more depth, whether it be on the edge, on the um, the interior at linebacker? Do you think that they make one or two moves just to get themselves, not even like a big splash or anything, but just somebody, a proven vet that they know that they can plug in if they need to? So as we've reported at the Observer multiple times, they really were very interested in Leonard Floyd mm. very early on in the process. His his price was like significantly out of their range and maybe during training camp he drops his price maybe he doesn't want to go to training camp and he just wants to show up i mean he's worked with Ejero evero before uh he knows what type of defense they're gonna run the other guy to look out for is yannick ngakwe another guy who's got a very heavy price but has worked with this staff before he worked with frank reich in indianapolis last year um I do think they'll eventually make a move, whether that's signing one of these guys if they drop their price or trading for a guy who's maybe on the last year of his deal and is kind of a deep depth guy. Like, um, you know, there's always those types of trades. Uh, and I think Scott Fitter is a guy who researches the trade market pretty well. Um, they don't really have a lot of draft assets next year because of the trade up to the number one overall pick, but I right. do think. If you can get a player swap going, like if there's a four three, if there's a team that's converting to like a four three or more of a under look than they previously had, and they want a natural defensive end, maybe you swap Eterus Matos for a guy who's more of a better fit for a three four, mm. um, and they'll watch the waiver wire, which sometimes has some prizes on it. A lot of conversation was made last season about whether or not Brian Burns was going to be in Carolina long term. Do you think that? the possibility of moving him at some point this season is still on the table. No, absolutely not. Um, I mean, they turned down two first-round picks and more for him last year. He's a guy that they view as a – like, unless unless they are significantly off on a contract extension, which I don't think they will be. Um, look, they gave him a ton of leverage, mm-hmm. <laughs> a ton of leverage. He knows what they turned down for him. Sure. Um which is almost unheard of for a position that's not quarterback. So I think they do realize he's the straw that stirs the drink, not only on defense, but I think the entire team, he's their best player. And they are not in the, like Christian McCaffrey was in a different situation because from a positional value standpoint, running back is. That's not going to, you know, change the aspect of their team having a good running back. Right. I mean, they were terrible with him. Like, and he was the whole offense. I, I like the first game of the Steve Wilkes era, PJ Walker threw like two passes beyond the line of scrimmage. And it was Christian McCaffrey. Otherwise, (laughs) because you have to free it. Like Christian McCaffrey is a bulk weapon. I mean, he's, he's a guy that you want to run an offense through. The problem is when you run an offense through one player, you better have really good players around him. Yeah when he takes a blow or he he's out with injury or whatever, they just didn't have that. Like DJ Moore, another guy, you, you know, you can talk about how they trade away their best offensive player. Well, great. Well, they weren't winning anything and he can't throw himself the ball. So, you know, ultimately quarterback is, is the, is the thing. And outside of quarterback, if it's quarterback up here, 
it's defensive end here and pretty much everything else right here. So I, I think, you know, finding a premium pass rusher is really tough. It's like finding the Ark of the Covenant in the NFL. And uh, as you can see, I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. Um, say, are you, you hyped for that new movie coming out? Oh, yeah, very hyped. I don't care what the reviews say. The reviews are wrong. Amen, buddy. Um, to look at the rest of the landscape in the NFC South, it is by and large, if not the worst division, definitely the second worst division in the NFL as a whole. Uh, Atlanta, I love their roster. I don't love their quarterback. Uh, New Orleans, I like their quarterback. I don't know how I feel about the rest of their roster. And then the Buccaneers are a tire fire. Um, in terms of those three teams, how would you kind of stack them up uh, compared to Carolina? Or how would you stack up the NFC South as a whole right now? So maybe this makes for bad radio, but I would put them in that order. Uh, oh, you know what? I, you and I are in the same wavelength, buddy. Yeah, um, I would put the 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 Panthers in between the Falcons and the Saints, right? So, I think with the Falcons, like you said, I really like their roster. I like what they've done from a roster building standpoint. But where I disagree with you is, I like Desmond Ritter. I really, oh, okay. I was a fan of his during the draft process. Um, what I'm kind of concerned with is. The way that team's run is run like it's run like 1985, right? Like, so the whole thought process of that offense with Arthur Smith is we're going to pound people. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to bully them, big guys. And it's like, that's fine. But what happens when those big guys aren't playing to their size? And I think that's something that they could, that's my one concern about the Falcons. Um, I don't think they're very explosive. Uh, I think, look, like I said, they could do jump balls all day, but what happens when the jump ball, what happens when you play JC Horn, who can go after jump balls, mm. right? So I think the, the Panthers are built to beat the Falcons. I, I think that that's like from a matchup state, like they have the safeties to take on pits. Like they have the corners to take on, you know, Drake London. Like they, they've got, they've got the talent to compete with them. I think it's going to be a very close division between the saints, the Falcons and, and the Panthers. I, I really think it'll be the first to, to nine wins. Mm. I think is going to be the winner. Like the, the Panthers have a brutal first half schedule. Like it's one of those schedules where you say to yourself, they better stay healthy because if they going to pull up their schedule right now. Yeah. I mean like they're on the road. So they, oh, they're on the road a lot. Yeah, they drew the short straw this year because last year they got the extra home game. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and by the way, then they finished in second place as opposed to last place. So the 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 there's a, there's a couple of harder matchups in there. Yeah. Um, and look, they're on the road a lot early. They're uh, you know it, it, it's going to be a situation where they have to stay healthy. Uh, with the Saints, I'm a Derek Carr believer. I am too. And I think that that was the absolute right team for him. The issue that I have is it constantly feels like the defense lets them down in key spots because there's a lot of aging guys on there. That's that's the biggest thing that I was going to get to is the fact that like you look at their you know advanced stats, DVOA, all of that last season. Yeah, they were a fine defense, but they're also getting older. And by the way they drafted, they recognize that. But right. with the Saints, to me, it just feels like everybody else on the outside looking in realizes, okay, this is a team that, yeah, they can probably compete for a wild card spot. But in their minds, they were just a quarterback away from being a contender. I, mm -hmm. I don't see that with that defense. Dennis Allen at head coach, I, I, I really don't think that they are in in that that sort of stratosphere right now. 
Yeah, and I think you hit on something really important, right? Coaching. Uh, I, if I had to look, the best coach in this division is Frank Reich on paper. Yeah. And Frank Reich's a guy who couldn't win the AFC South. I was extremely critical of him as a Colts uh, head coach. They couldn't. I mean, look. I mean, the Jaguars won it. The the Titans won it several times um, while he was there. Like it's it's really going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because you know, as some forty one would say, these guys are the elite of just all right, and it's like. <laughs> We have to see how it plays out. Like, I think on the surface, Frank Reich is a guy who's going to be elevated by the strength of his staff. And that's okay. We've seen coaches like that before. Um, I, I, I'm just interested to see how that three-team race shakes out because the Buccaneers are awful. I mean, this is not not a great roster. Excuse me. I've never been very partial to Jason Light as a GM. Um, I mean, look, they didn't win. They didn't make the playoffs until they found the greatest quarterback of all time and got him there. He deserves credit for getting him there. But um, I, I think the Buccaneers are going to be in really rough shape this year. Can we talk about just how bad of a head coach Todd Bowles is, too, by the way? Because they're... I understand that there was a lot going against them last season. The offensive line got demolished mostly before the season even started. They faced more problems with that position group during the season. Um, but like, at what point are we going to stop like pointing at everybody else except Todd Bowles, where we've kind of seen him as a head coach before, it didn't work out, and now I think we're kind of seeing uh, that type of thing happen again. So I think with Todd Bowles... And look, I have a lot of respect for him as a defensive coordinator. Absolutely. I think think he got like the rawest of raw deals in New York. And so I was interested to see how this Buccaneers run went. But like you said, he did nothing to instill confidence in you throughout the year. And I think it's tough, right? Like Bruce Arians is a guy who's like in your face. The entire league knows how good he is. Biscuit for the biscuit. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows who Bruce Arians is and and what he brings to the table. I also think, like, the awkward exchange mid-season, mid-offseason very, was very, very weird. weird for him. Um, I don't think Todd Bowles has ever gotten a fair shot, if that may, a truly fair shot. I'm not sticking up for him. Like, a lot of the stuff that happened last year was inexcusable. Sure. But what I would say is – like giving him a blank slate, letting him be in his second year, this is really going to be it. Like this is like, if they don't win seven games, like what, like what are we talking about here? And I think it's a shame too, because I do feel like the discussion in the league focuses more on situations like this when it comes to minority coaches, than you know, what's happening elsewhere. Like, there's a told you so aspect here. Mm. And it's like, to me, Todd Bowles is a good coach. Is he a good head coach? I don't know. Some guys are just meant to be position coaches or or offensive coordinators. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, You know, you could argue that Jeff Scoutland, the offensive line coach for the Eagles is a top 10 coach in the entire league, regardless of position, but he's very content to be an offensive line coach. Right? Like, so, um, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with Todd Bowles this year because this roster isn't great. You know, uh, 
what Baker Mayfield is. He was there in Carolina last year before going to the Rams and now in Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask. I mean, really just the quarterback battle of the damned in Tampa Bay. Um, it does very much seem like they will be, to me, I think there's a select few teams that you can kind of pencil in being in kind of the, the Caleb Williams race. And Tampa Bay, Arizona are definitely uh, at the top of that race. Um, if you had to guess, though, which one of those two finishes with the worst record? Because Arizona is so dysfunctional on the surface i think there's a way that they screw it up like the texans um <laughs> this year. I, but I, here's the thing i think like the bucks defense is good enough to win games like and especially i think in that division so yeah especially in that division where everybody plays each other pretty close yeah i mean i i have a hard time believing that they're going to finish with less than five wins i think they need to get to seven wins for for todd bolts to stick around um, but I think like, to me, Arizona is just like the worst, like, <laughs> you mean, you don't believe in Jonathan Gannon and all that confidence he's definitely instilling. I mean, I think you and I have talked about it several times <laughs> on there, but like, uh, I covered him the first year in Philly, yeah. um, whatever, <laughs> like, I mean, whatever, uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, I, you've got a first year off, first year head coach, a first year offensive coordinator, first year defensive coordinator. Nick Rallis is, is I believe the youngest coordinator in the entire league. How old is he? Fans. Yeah. Uh, I believe he's 28 or 29. Mm-hmm. Um, their first year offensive coordinator is going to have to deal with Kyler Murray at some point. Um, <laughs> hey, until then it's Clayton Toon or David Blau. Or Colt McCoy. Or Colt McCoy, um, yeah. Yeah, um, a real treasure trove. Well, I was going to say, when Colt McCoy is your best case scenario, that yeah. is that yeah, is certainly rough. a season, yeah. It's Plus, who's you going to throw to? Because D-Hop isn't going to be there. It's going to be a lot of, I guess, Rondale Moore, if they figure out how to use him correctly. Uh, but... Yeah, Hollywood Brown. I mean, ah, okay, yeah, fair enough. The ball down the field to him. Um, but I, I think, yikes. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Objectively, uh, like that roster is an objectively yikes roster. Like that, like there is nothing. I mean, people have said more positive things about the Titanic. There is like uh, this is. uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think like teams should look at them as like a free win. But like when I look at this roster, I'm just like. And this coaching staff, I'm like, what instills confidence? And look, if if that arena is like a quarter filled throughout the season, I wouldn't blame the Cardinals fans. Like, I, I, no. there's been nothing about this off season that can make you feel good about this team whatsoever. At least not, at least not this season. They've acquired draft picks for the future and whatnot. I think that's just kind of what they're playing for. Is let's just get to January. They did some nice things in the, yeah, they did some nice things in the draft. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, BJ Alar- uh, Ojolari is a perfect fit for that team. I, I like that trade-up. Um, you know, I, does this staff last more than a year? I was going to ask you that same question. Is this going to be something similar that we saw with Steve Wilkes and his staff when they had Josh Rosen? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a very cheap staff, so if you had to pay them down the road, I don't think it would be, like, that 
bad of a thing. The thing is, is like, why would you want the Cardinals job? Right? I don't know. And maybe that's why they, you know, ended up with Listen, you, you look, as somebody, as somebody, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, somebody, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, you only get a shot at that money once. Right, you? right. And so that could be why. But like, I don't know, man. That's yeah, if, like if I was somebody like, I mean, Jim Harbaugh was a name that kept coming up. I don't know if they had conversations with him, but if they came to me and I had, you know, a, basically a tenured professor at Michigan where my money's guaranteed, I'm, I'll be worshipped here forever, or I can go to that dumpster fire in the desert, I, I'm going to stay in Michigan. I'm quite okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, other coordinators, like Ben Johnson was a name that came up. If they talked to him, if I'm Ben Johnson, I could say, okay, I could either stay here in Detroit where there's clearly direction we, you know, have been progressing and I can be kind of the golden boy of, you know, calling this offense, or I can go and you know, play with, you know, call plays for Colt McCoy until December. And then do you, do you think that they trade Kyler Murray? Do you think they pull a Kyler Murray on Kyler Murray come draft time if, if they're picking number one overall? Next year, yeah, possibly. But, yeah. but why would you trade premium assets for him at this point? Like, I'm not saying he's That's not talented, but like, there's a lot there. It feels like guy who's coming off a knee injury who reportedly is just a pain in the butt. Like, I, you I gotta, like, you gotta have a lot more talent and show that you're worth all of that, all of that headache. I feel like when you talk about the Cardinals, you always say, "I think there's a lot more there than like." <laughs> Except with the roster. Yeah. <laughs> Except with the roster. Um, look, I, I think the Colts are going to be a team that's going to be okay. I think, I think they'll be at least fun to watch. Yeah, the Titans, they'll be okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a team that like is even in the same realm as oh, you think that, the You brought up the Titans. The Titans are fascinating to me because I love Rabel. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, he's a good enough coach where he's going to get them a – like he raises your floor. Mm-hmm. However, after Traylon Burks, they're starting you and I at receiver. They're going through a complete – they're going through a complete uh, deconstruction and reconstruction on the offensive line. I know Andre Dillard getting him, I think that's good. We don't mm-hmm. really know. We haven't been able to see him play a lot just because, like you pointed out, the Eagles apparently just breed offensive linemen. Um and then it's I, there's a lot of question marks with with, with Tennessee. You, you've gotten the best that you can out of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. I'm surprised that they didn't just say, let's just completely restart, get as much assets as we can for Henry and Tannehill and begin anew. I'm surprised they didn't do that. Well, they might not have been able to, right? Like, Maybe. I mean, like, you never know. Like, seriously, I'm like trying to like figure out who can be even in the conversation for number one with the Cardinals. Like, that's all I can think about now. I mean, that's really... You're welcome. I'm, I, I bring up the hard questions on this show. Yeah, I mean, like, man, I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, before before I let you get out of here, there is a, a thing that I do with first-time guests all the time. We find a common interest, and then we rank our top five of that. You and I are big pro wrestling guys. I don't think I've ever asked you, who are your five favorite wrestlers, whether it be right now, all time, however you want to do it. If you have, I know, I'm putting you on the spot. I can do all time. Okay. Um, we can kind of go back and forth. I'll give you my, give me your number five. I'll give you my number five. Or we'll go back. And oh, forth you want to do that. a reverse order? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reverse chronological. Uh, all right. And I know that ours are going to be different because I actually grew up a WCW guy. So I wasn't a WWF, WWE guy until like right. the late 90s. And then I watched all the, 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 
like the old tapes and everything. I'm trying to think. Um, five is Chris Jericho. It's a good pick. I like Chris Jericho a lot too. He's just outside my top five. Five for me is Rob Van Dam. I'm going back and like watching all the ECW stuff. And I love RVD. He's great. Fantastic. Huh. Trying to think who would I put over Jericho? Cause I know who my top three are. Okay. I feel, yeah, that, for that's sure. Okay. Um, There's the one that cannot be named ever, who, based on his in-ring stuff... Sure, yep, I know exactly who you're talking about. Clear yeah. number four. That's your uh, clear number four? He, I, I'll go, Shawn Michaels, I'll go with okay. number four. Okay, um, that's a good pick. Um, who would be my number four? I'm thinking that... What I put, yeah, yeah, because like I, I took a big hiatus from wrestling. I came back in like 2019, so I, I, I'm confident putting MJF at my number four, just because he's great. Macho Man Randy Savage. See, yeah, this is where our eras get separated a little bit. Yeah, I was but a gleam in my father's eye when Randy Savage was still doing his thing. Great so Randy who's Savage. Your, who's who's your three? My three. Oh, balls. I know who my top two are. Three would be Omega, yeah. Just every, I didn't know much about Japanese wrestling, like I said, until I came back to like watch wrestling again. And I have a few friends who are really into Japanese stuff, and they've shown me like all his stuff with Okada and that entire thing. I, everything that he does is just great. Like hmm. I, can't, I can't name a bad Kenny Omega match. So it's weird. Like my top two, I know who they are, and they're probably interchangeable because mm. one's the guy that started all started it all for me. The other guy is the one that took my fandom to a new level. Okay, I'll go with the guy who started it all. So Sting. Sting oh, okay, that's a good pick. I discovered Sting in a video game, like I think it was WCW versus the World or something like that. Where they, it was like an N64 game where they played a, it, it was the WCW roster and a lot of Japanese. Mm. Uh, I don't remember if it was New Japan or something else, but like that was an awesome game. And so I was immediately drawn to it. I was also really into movies. And so like the crow look did something for me. Mm. And I'll never forget. Shout out to Kevin Zimmerman. I was at his house. We were eight years old <laughs> and we watched the build up to Starcade. Uh, 98 or 97, yeah, Starcade 97, and uh, which was the slow end of WCW. But you know, what are you gonna do? That's the best build to a match I've ever seen. Also, the worst main event match based on booking I've ever seen. Hulk Hogan Sting, go look it up on the on the uh, on the Peacock. So, who's your number two? Number two is uh, Chick Magnet Phil CM Punk. I know, I know. We have differing opinions when it comes to one Phil Brooks. That's okay, though. That's yes. okay. I could, I, <laughs> I, I, he is just so, such a, what's the word I'm looking for? Unique, definitely, but, uh, I don't know, gratif, no, that's the wrong word. You gravitate toward him almost, whether you like him or you hate him. And there's no in between. You either love I mean, him or you despise him. He's certainly the center of the universe. Yes. In his universe. <laughs> so I think that that is, uh, well, yeah. Um, he I just, 
it's hard. Like I want wrestlers to make me feel, and he makes me feel. That's why Eddie Kingston almost made this because I love Eddie Kingston. He made like I believe Eddie Kingston when he talks. I believe Kevin Owens when he talks. Like, but uh, CM Punk, yeah. I think our number ones are the same. Just basically, are they? Probably, yeah. Um, okay, here, let's say it on three. Let's see if they're the same. Uh, this would be fun. Ready? All right. All right, one, two, three. Jeff, Jeff Hardy. Hardy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I still remember being in my friend's house where we watched uh, WrestleMania 2000 on a like blurry screen because uh, back in the days like you could kind of cheat and, and it was at his house not mine so I <laughs> uh, Mike K is going to be amongst the these streamers getting arrested and I just like No Mercy 99 really got me into WWF but because the latter match with Edge and Christian mm. WrestleMania 2000 kind of like the the swanton off the off the ladder is like something that's ingrained in my brain um i mean you brought up cm punk uh i i too take hiatuses from wrestling so like i'll go two years of watching it pretty regularly and then i'll just forget it exists (laughs) um which is kind of what i'm doing with wwe the last like two years like i'll watch like the big very much agreed yeah but um, I like AEW because I can watch it. I can fast forward through it. It's like not, it doesn't like, I don't feel like I, if I miss it, it's like the end of the world. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, uh, and they offer so many different things to a very so, good like, variety show. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, sometimes to its detriment. Right. But like, mm. I do think um, it's positioned very well. That said, I, I do think Jeff Hardy uh is a guy who's obviously had a lot of off the field issues or <laughs> off the ring issues um which has been good way of putting that yeah it's been really hard to kind of get into it but like if he's on television or if he's employed somewhere like sting i will st- like you know when there's yeah. like a movie like like with me, if like Wedding Crashers is on the TV, I'll watch till the end. If Raiders of the Lost, dude, Earth, I love you more and more that we talk. That is okay. top three favorite movie for I love that movie. So, oh my God. So, um, I was watching a pilot for a new show on Apple Plus, and okay. one of the brothers is like Tummy Sticks, the, bro- the brother from. Oh, oh, what the fuck is his name in the movie? Um, is it, I think it's just uh, Todd. Todd, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, and I don't know why tummy sticks has always been like something that can make me pop, but like it, it he was on there and I was like trying to figure out who this guy is. Cause he, he didn't have the dark hair and he had yeah. like, kind of like a shadow. And I was like, Oh my God, that's him. And I couldn't watch the rest of the show because I was taken out of it. And I was like, what's Vince Vaughn doing? You know what I mean? Like what's he up to these days? But uh, yeah, no, I, um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, with Jeff Hardy, I, like if he's on, I'll watch. Like it's yeah. something. I mean, you know, I know he had that uh, awful, awful. I mean, I hope it was a. He had a botch that I hope was actually his. So, yeah, he, In, insider baseball here. It's been basically confirmed by Matt that yeah, the spot was the way that he landed on the whisper in the wind. Like it was planned to mess it up, but he landed kind of awkward. That's why Matt was a little bit concerned. But apparently, it was like a. Uh, 
planned spot where he hurts his knee and then messes up the that was planned. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So what I will say is this: the most underrated thing about Jeff Hardy is he is probably a top five seller of all time. I believed it, dude. I thought he was legit hurt. Yeah, like the guy sells so incredibly well. It's why he he was able to move up on like you know he started as a jobber you know under eighteen, sixteen year old getting beat to shit by Scott Hall. Yeah, Scott <laughs> Hall and Kevin Nash loved him because and 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 one two three kid loved him because he would make them look like a million bucks, and so mm. that's kind of how he. I kind of wish it's like a lost art sell like in this generation, like nobody sells it. That's why I love Dolph Ziggler so much because he'll make everything look just brutal. Right. I mean, like, you know, you've got these kids that, that wrestle in, you know, air force ones and Jordans who like, who are like half my size who, who don't ever sell. Um, but they kick pretty, so it's okay. Uh, Finding out that Mike K is a young buck hater is not what I wanted to find out today. I mean, they're kind of like a greatest hits of like, they're like, they're like a cover band that's really good doing uh, live shows and like live albums. Like that's what they do, right? Like, but that's what their gimmick is, right? Like Ziggler. I guess so. Yeah. Kind of like the, the rockers and the Hardys rolled into one. Right, yeah, like Ziggler's the same way. Ziggler has stolen every move that he has, right? Like he's a mixture of Billy Gunn, uh, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, and then like the guy that we probably should never name. Um, There's a little bit of him to it. Like that's the thing. Like to me, Ziggler would be the biggest act in AEW if they if they signed him and I yeah. think he knows that I don't think he I don't know if he really wants that stuff but we've gone off his on brother's him. there yes that's true if they ever let him get some airtime collision <laughs> hey he gets plenty of plenty of time on being the elite yeah 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 I'm obviously not that audience Telling you, tune in. It, it's it's great stuff. You can watch them, Hangman and Kenny Omega sing the Chili's Baby Back Rib song. It's great stuff. It's hilarious. Riveting, riveting. I'll, I'll give you my little Jeff Hardy take as well because he is my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, I started watching wrestling um, in like 2007, so like he had just come back from that short TNA run, and shortly after won the Intercontinental title, and then he had that feud with Randy Orton where it culminated at Royal Rumble with the WWE title match where he had that awful lip ring, by the way. I hated that era when he wore that like lip oh, ring. Oh, the, the middle? Yeah, hated it. Um, and then the Punk feud in 09, I cried when they had that match on SmackDown whenever uh, in the steel cage of Punk won, Jeff had to leave WWE, and then he lost, and I cried. I was a little 10-year-old, and he was bawling. Then he went to TNA, and I was like, oh, okay, good. You know, I don't really know much about TNA, but Kurt Angle's here and, and Jeff Hardy's here. I'll, I'll tune in. Mr. Mr. Anderson, not Mr. Kennedy anymore. He's here. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, oh, so much of my wrestling fandom is just ingrained around Jeff Hardy. Coming back at Mania, that pop is still like, I could watch that 90 times. It'll still be awesome. So, yeah, everything that he does is, you know, he, he shits gold to me. I love Jeff Hardy. And despite. Like seems like everybody else does too, and they just want the best for him. Hopefully, this is you know finally staying on the straight and narrow where you know there's no more. I, he kicked the, the the drug habit apparently, and the previous rehab stint now is just trying to get over the alcohol thing. I hope nothing but the best for Jeff Hardy and his his lovely lovely soul and what he's done for so many wrestling fans like you and I. 
glad that we have the same number one. He made wearing purple look really cool. Dude, he... I, I was thrifting the other day, and I saw I, what I swear to God was wrestling pants that he wore. They were the same color, the same bagginess, the same weird cargo pockets on the side. I almost bought them just because I, I was like, you know what? If I ever wanted to, you know, dress as Jeff Hardy for Halloween, this is like the perfect pair of pants. He's worn those same things for 20-some years, and it, it's still over. You, you'd uh, you'd look like Mike K circa 20... Year 2001. <laughs> Good stuff, buddy. Buddy, this is a lot of fun. What uh, what do you got coming on the Observer? Well, I just did a mailbag about the Panthers' potential interest in DeAndre Hopkins, and we talked about the wide receiver pecking order, and we talked about H backs. Um, the the least discussed tight end fullback hybrid players, but um. Yeah, that's pretty much what we got going on right now. Uh, OTAs will be on Thursday. Um, that'll be our once a week kind of allotment. Um, we'll do a full breakdown on, on charlotteobserver.com. I think our special right now is ninety one month for uh, 99 cents. Come up, subscribe, click on some, some good stuff. If you care about the NFC South, if you care about uh, the Panthers, if you like my sense of humor, <laughs> sign on up. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, for me, go watch Trivia Bowl 12. We just did that last night. Um, the funniest moment, and by the way, I've done this show for three years. Last night, the funniest the funniest moment in the history of the show. So go watch that. That's my little teaser. Go read 32 Nod Football Comps for all 32 starting quarterbacks. Everybody seemed to really enjoy that. Please go read it if you haven't. It's on USA Today. And then later on, if not today, tomorrow, uh, breakout potential breakout players for all 32 teams, one player. Uh, who I see being a potential breakout, having a potential breakout season. That'll be on USA Today tomorrow. Mike K, this is a lot of fun, buddy. Love talking to you. We'll have to do it again very, very soon. This is a lot of fun. Ditto. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.